Welcome to Shekinah International Podcast. Our ministry reflects the five-fold ministry model Apostle Paul mentions in Ephesians 4, 11, and 12. Our podcast features leaders from multiple churches who are passionate about equipping Christians just like you to walk in purity and power, fulfilling your God-given purpose. God wants to do great exploits through you, so enjoy today's podcast. It's been a long time coming. I know Stephanie was trying to get me to share what I'm going to share today um, earlier in a different time. And uh, what I wanted to talk about today was just uh, Daddy's love. Um, I've had a personal encounter with him probably it was five, six years ago. And uh, Stephanie and Laura and some of the people from the Apostolic Regional Team was a part of that journey with me. But uh, I really just um, just pray that you'll just hear what I have to say today. And uh, I just want to talk about Daddy's love, like I said, what it means to me. I had a beautiful, beautiful <clears throat> encounter, um, and I've never sh- really shared it publicly. I've only shared it one time uh, publicly. And uh, so just pray for me as I'm kind of going through this and taking you on the same journey that I've already been on. And um, there's not a whole lot of scripture, but it's all founded in the Lord anyway, so it really doesn't matter. So for all the legalistic people, sorry, there's not a lot of scripture. You'll get over it. You'll be okay. And um, so I just want to start kind of, you know, it was about five or six years ago. It was March 27th on Good Friday. Uh, I was sleeping comfortable in my bed, I thought, and about 6.30, 7 o'clock in the morning, I heard someone call my uh, my name. I heard a voice call my name, and I thought someone was literally in my apartment, and it freaked me out. Where my apartment was at was not in the greatest area, so that was my first thing. Someone's gotten into my apartment, someone knows my name, and there's two ways this is going to end. Either I'm going to die or they're going to die, or I am literally having a crazy dream that this just feels too surreal. And so I heard this voice call. I had my bedroom door closed, and I'm like, okay, there's no way. There's no one in my apartment. So I got up. I checked. Nothing. I decided to kind of, you know, lay back down. I heard that voice again. It It called. It said, Matthew, get up get up and go to the hospital right now because if you don't, you're going to die. And I'm like, what? I'm like, I'm fine. I feel fine. Everything's fine. Nothing's wrong with me. So I laid back down again. Um, Well, I think the first time before I laid back down, like I was like, okay, I'm fine. I'm just going to drink some water, you know, whatever. Like nothing's wrong with me. I laid back down. um, And then I got up and I'm like, okay, I'm going to get up. I'm going to go to the hospital. So I text a few people, um, my pastors at the time, I text them, and they text a few other people. And so I'm driving myself to the hospital. In the middle of driving, I I was losing the ability to breathe on my left side uh, from my lung. And so when I got there, I told the ER people, I said, hey, um, I can't breathe. I think I am uh, having a collapsed lung. And course they thought I was crazy they're thinking because I'm young 
live on the south side. I'm coming in at about 7 a.m. They're thinking I'm just there to get painkillers, and I'm just a drug addict. And, of course, I just got out of bed, so it's not like I took the time to comb my hair or do anything. So they're just making all these assumptions, and I could, I could sense it. And so uh, one of the doctors in the ER came in. He said, so what brought you to the ER? And, of course, I'm already aggravated because I've already told my story 50 million times to three other nurses. And I'm like, I really get tired of repeating this, but I know they have to. It's just part of the process. So I tell him what's going on. I said, well, you know, uh, I just felt something prompt me to come to the ER. And uh, I just feel very um, having issues breathing. And I'm wheezing on my left side. And. I said, I think if you take an x-ray, that it's you're going to see that my left lung has collapsed. And so I said, oh, really? He's like, okay, um, well, let's, um, let's take a look. So about 20 minutes later, they took an x-ray. 30 minutes later, they came back, and he's like, man, he's like, I don't know how you knew. He's like, I can't believe this. He's like, you are right. Your left lung is co completely collapsed. And he says, so we have to get you into the operating room right now. And uh, so as they got me in the, into the emergency operating room before they take you upstairs, they were doing some work on me. And they were trying to put in kind of a, a chest tube. And, of course, uh, my pastors at the time, Pastor Sean from Epicenter, he was there. And there was people kind of at the end of the room. They were there. And one of the nurses I happened to know, she was working that morning. And she's a believer, very prophetic, knows the Lord. And uh, so it was just crazy because she, uh, in the middle, she was actually in charge of putting a tube in my chest. Like, they thought that's all they need to do, just put, you know, a chest tube, everything will be fine. As they went to put in a chest tube, I couldn't see anything. I'm laying on this cold metal thing. I'm exposed. I'm embarrassed. It's cold. As a guy, every insecurity in the world um, is just running through my mind. I'm like, great. These girls are seeing me naked. I'm cold. Like, this is not cool. I'm like, really, Lord? Really, this is, this is what we're, we're, we're doing this today. This is, okay, okay, cool, cool. I got it. So as, they, as she goes to, um, you know, she's like, okay, hey, uh, you know, just because we don't know what's going on, we're going to have to put a catheter in you and I'm like, go right ahead. I'm like, you already got me exposed. Might as well go right ahead. <laughs> so they uh, they put the catheter in, and they're like, oh, you're just going to feel a little pinch. And I'm like, yeah, I, I don't care. I was like, I'm already exposed and embarrassed, so you can't really ruin me anymore. So they do all that, and they go to, you know, make an insert on the left side to put in a chest tube. And. When they did it, I just saw the room freeze, and everybody was just looking, and I couldn't see it, but they could see it, and it was just blood just just running out, running out, and um, so I had lost uh, literally, in that time, I had lost two liters of blood, and your body only carries three, and so in that time, they were freaking out because they don't know what's going on. Like, they're assuming it's just a lung collapse. Like, we don't know what's going on with him. And uh, so at, by that time, I've already been in there probably 15, 20, maybe 25 minutes at the most. And uh, the big doctor from upstairs, he gets in, and um, he 
said, we have to get this young man upstairs right now or he's going to die in the next five minutes. He won't make it. And uh, so as he took me up, I heard the pastors and some other pastors that I knew in the area, they showed up too. And uh, you could hear they were just going in in tongues, just loud. They didn't care who heard, heard them. Um, but I turned completely white. Like I, I could look down and I just like, like paper white, like, and, um, I could feel myself kind of leaving. Um, I could, I could, I could feel it. So they get me up and they're telling me like, you know, you're gonna have to count down to a certain number. And I'm like, okay. And I'm like, well, Lord, if this is the last time I'm going to be here, I'm, I'm cool with that. I'm comfortable. I got peace. I know where I'm going to be at and it's fine. So uh, put me down. Next thing uh, I know, uh, just this huge, huge, bright white light. And um, I was in heaven, and I saw Jesus. He was right next to me. And uh, we, uh, we got to walk in heaven. Um, it was pretty awesome. Um, we talked. We had conversation. I saw different people in my family that I knew and people from other people's family. Um, but while I was there, it was really cool because I got to see Moses standing outside of the tabernacle. And I saw the tabernacle up there, and Moses was standing next to it. And um, he saw me from afar, and he it was like people knew who I was without saying anything. It was like we were able to recognize each other in spirit. And I remember walking past Paul and Peter and um, while I was walking the streets of gold with Jesus, and um, it's not like Jesus was really saying too much to me. It was just beautiful picture of him. Uh, he had long, dark, black kind of silk hair, um, very thick black beard, uh, and very like bronze color skin color. And uh, it was very uh, surreal. Um, I was like, okay, I'm here. Yay. And I was super excited. <laughs> I was like, yay, no more earth. No more earth. And um, well, while I was there, uh, he also took me. It was weird. Like, he took me to the front of, like, I guess, like, almost like the floor of, like, heaven. And uh, he opened it up, and I saw the earth and saw all the chaos that was going on and and then it was like a movie reel, uh, reel and I saw um, Hillary and Trump. Um, he showed me it was going to come down to them in the 2016 election. And uh, Trump turned into a flaming skull and Hillary turned into skull and bones and um, disintegrated. And so I knew the Lord was speaking to some things about that at that time. Um, but that's a whole other sermon topic on prophecy and end times and things like that. But uh, he had showed me that, and he said, um, it's not your time yet. Um, I'm, I'm sending you back. And I, I, was, I was not happy. I was like, no, don't send me back. Like, I thought this was my out, <laughs> like, like, spiritually, because I was so happy. Like, I was smiling, joy. Um, there's, like, I don't even know. When they say, like, there's no like sorrow or anything like there's literally nothing like that in heaven like you don't feel any pain or sorrow people recognize people and it's almost like 
spiritual, telepathic, like people can, like, without really coming up to you and talking to you, you can just already sense, like, they're ministering to you or saying something. It's just like that look, and you receive it in, in your spirit. And it was really, really cool. And um, I just remember coming uh, coming back, waking up. I was actually on, let's see if I can get to this. So this is the picture I was um, at the top of heaven before I came back. This is what it looked like at the top of heaven. So like the top of that architecture was the opening of what heaven looked like in the top. And then you heard all these angelic voices singing the whole time. But it wasn't like it disturbed you from talking to anybody else. It was kind of like just this ongoing worship. Uh, you could just hear the Lord just just happy. And it was weird because, like, I'm walking with Jesus, but then I can look up in the sky. You see God in the sky like this face. And it's the same face to the person I'm talking to, but yet I'm seeing his face up here. So it's, like, weird. Um, and I'm like, okay, I don't know how to process this because it's very confusing right now. Um, and so it was just a beautiful thing. And so uh, when the Lord sent me back, I, I woke up. I was on life um, life support. This is where I was at um, while I was out. This was before I woke up. Someone had took some pictures, and um, they were doing a blood transfusion had two chest tubes and then life support. I had lost two of the three liters of blood. I was down to, at this time, I was down to about 90 pounds, which is nowhere near what I weigh now. Praise the Lord. <laughs> well, there I am with my dear mother who's passed. Um, but she was there every day praying um, with me and uh, talking to me. I was only on life support for one one whole day, but it really felt like it was a lot longer because of the experience and everything. Um, so it was a blessing to have my mom there, but um, to hear all the stories from my mom's perspective, but also to hear all the perspective, um, all the stories from other people's perspective of what they saw my mom go through was really... Um, it showed me a different side of her that I didn't know because me and her didn't always have a great relationship. So um, this is a beautiful picture just to have my mom there next to me um, holding my hand. And I think a little bit after that, uh, here I am just waking up and they're coming in and checking on me. And so I think they made me keep that thing in my throat for like three or four hours, which I was, I was not happy. Um, and I was trying to talk, and they kept telling me to shut up, and I said, you don't tell me to shut up. Like, I just saw the Lord. Don't tell me to shut up. I have something to say, because the Lord also showed me some things about my mother and some things that she had experienced, and so I was trying to say it, and I couldn't, and then some of the people in the room got me paper, and I wrote down some things where I saw that she had lost a child. Um, she had aborted a child, and the Lord had told me that um, she had sent the child back, but it was me. So that she had lost one of her one of my siblings through abortion, and that um, I came in as to replace. And so I wrote all this down, and of course gave it to her. And everybody's in the room, and she's like looking like a deer in headlights, and like I don't know what you're talking about. It's the medicine, and I'm like, yeah, it's not the medicine. I was like, I just came from heaven, and. 
Um, but it was awesome um, being able to have that time with my mother to reconcile. And it was just a beautiful, beautiful, beautiful thing. And so, uh, you know, I was still a little mad at the Lord. Like, really, you just sent me back to all this and I'm waking up my life support. Like, at least you could have let me, like, enjoy having a little longer. <laughs> like, but they say, like, the time is so different between us and God. So where I felt like I was there for not a long time, but I did because I'm like, hold on. I had to be there for a long time to experience all this, to walk the streets of gold, to see all this, to have the Lord talk to me, for him to tell me how much he loves me and, you know, to tell me to share his love to people when I come back. And so it was just a very, very, it's overwhelming, um, gives you all these feelings. You don't know how to process it. Then you wake up, you have everybody bothering you, and you're still trying to process this spiritual encounter. So you're just like, okay, um, yeah, I'm not sure where, what I'm doing right now. And then you have this thing, <laughs> you have the life support thing, and then they got you, uh, your hands uh, tied to the side because they don't want you to try and pull anything out. And I'm like, man, you guys are acting like I just, like, tried to took my life or something. <laughs> like, I just want to breathe. But, you know, because of the situation, they said they couldn't take it out. Um, they had to make sure that I was going to be able to breathe on my own. Um, and uh, later, uh, the next the next day, uh, the emergency um, doctor that worked in the ER, he actually came up to check on me and, um, you could just see in his face like he had been bone because he thought I had passed because he said, like, you're probably the top three worst-case scenarios I've seen in this hospital in all the years I've been here. Um, and um, so they didn't tell me what everything had happened yet. And um, so, you know, I'm just, like, trying to figure out why I got all these tubes in me. I'm like, I thought if I have a collapsed lung, I just need one. And so that first day of being woke up, it was just a lot. Um, I was probably not in and out. I was probably in and out all the day, probably saying a lot of crazy stuff. I know a few people came and talked to me, and I basically, like, told them, like, you need to get saved or you're going to hell. <laughs> like, <laughs> probably not that way, but essentially in a nice way, just saying, like, you know, the Lord just loves you so much, and, you know, he really just wants to see you when you die and you know you just need to get your life in order so that can happen and um so um eventually after waking up the next day uh I was kind of back to normal and uh but then they you know telling me all these things they're like yeah you got this wrong what they found out was that I actually had a ripped artery on my left side that had been there for at least two years minimum. And that I had been in internal bleeding, and they couldn't figure out how I was alive. Um, and so they said that's what caused my left lung to collapse. But then when it collapsed, the left lung ripped the artery all the way. And so that's why when they went to put in the tube, all the blood was coming out because the artery... So they had to go in and stitch up um, the artery and um, have, like, this huge scar down the back that's where they cut in and did all that and got these scars. And 
So, but after this, they were telling me like, hey, we, uh, we need to do another surgery. And I'm like, what? I'm like, <laughs> I'm like, first you had me on life support. Then you cut me open. You got me looking like I'm on drugs, which I was, not the street drugs, but the hospital drugs. And then you're telling me you want to do another surgery. I was like, I don't think that's going to happen. And they're like, no, seriously. Like, because of what's happened, you're at a high risk for your lungs to collapse again. And so they're like, why don't you take a day or two to think about it? So I was praying. I had worship music playing the whole time because I don't like hospitals. It's not my thing. I don't like going to them. And so I'm in this hospital, and I'm playing this worship music, and I'm trying to hear from the Lord, and then all these nurses are standing in my room, and I'm thinking something bad's about to happen to me. Like the first first night after they moved, second night after they moved me out of the ICU, uh, about it was about four nurses they were standing behind the curtain in my room and uh the next day they said yeah we uh we just wanted to be in a peaceful room and your room is the only room in this whole floor that we feel peace and i knew that was like the lord's presence being in that room with me and that they were experiencing that plus i was having like people from all over the city that i knew different pastors and leaders stephanie came in like two or three times i think Called her one time, I was like, listen, I'm paranoid, I'm freaking out, I need you to just come and sit with me because I'm in this room, I can't get out of the bed because I got these two tubes, so I'm bed in. can't go to the bathroom on my own, so I said I'm pretty much just glued to this bed until they let me move. And uh, so they came in the next day and asked me about the surgery, and they said, so, you know, have you considered it? And I said, you know, um, I said, I, I can't do it because I know my body's not going to survive. I said, um, it's just too much trauma that's happened to my body, and there's no way. I said, there's just no way. And what they wanted to do was cut me open down the middle and then seal my lungs to my chest cavity and then sew me back up. And I said, I just, I, there's absolutely no way I'm going to survive this. And they're like, you know your body better than we do. And I said, yeah, I just... I, I knew it was the Lord just giving me a warning, like, there's no way your your body's physically going to make it through another surgery because you're um, dealing with all this recovery. And then I'm still dealing with uh, the blood transfusion that they had me on. And so then I ended up having a fever. It was about 104, 105, and they were getting concerned because when you get high in the fever and the blood transfusion, that sometimes your body rejecting um, the transfusion. So I'm waking up every night. They're poking me, drawing blood every couple hours. Um, then probably third or fourth day, I wake up, and they just got bags of ice all around me. And they're like, yeah, we got to cool your body off because it's just, it's just really, like, getting really, really hot from the blood transfusion. So eventually... Gradually, after the first week in the hospital um, of being in there two weeks, uh, I started getting better. I couldn't get rid of the, they still had the two chest tubes in there. Uh, Lord was still speaking to me about things, and um, I was just able to share, like, the Lord with a few different nurses and um, just being able to, like, be a light to people there and encourage them and um, even had a x-ray technician he he came in the room and 
he came in and he was like, whoa. And I'm like, okay. He's like, man, I feel daddy's presence in here. And so I knew I was like, oh, man, this guy knows the Lord. And so he's like, man, I don't know what has happened to you. But he said, I literally almost fell over when I walked in here. And I was like, yeah, I've been keeping worship music playing, and I've been praying in the Holy Spirit a lot. And people have been coming in here praying with me and praying over me while I'm sleeping. And he's like, man, Daddy really loves you. I was like, yeah, he does. He does. And so that was that was one of the biggest things that I was learning through this process was how much daddy loves me. Um, and another thing within that, I was learning how to become his son. It's easy to know someone as your father, but it's actually harder to know him as your father from a place of a son. So it's easy to know someone like, oh, yeah, I know he's a father. Awesome. But now you're able to know him as a father for being a father of you as a son or a daughter. So I was able to learn. Um, that was probably like the biggest takeaway, all the biggest thing. And um, so uh, after he came in and, you know, said what he said, he sat with me for probably like 20, 30 minutes in the room, this x-ray technician guy. And uh, then he laid hands on me and prayed for me and He's like, man, I'm going to try and come back and see you if I can. Um, he just said, man, you're just a blessing to be here. He said, uh, I was like, yeah, I was like, the nurses have been coming standing in here. He's like, yeah, man, I bet. He's like, I've already been in all the other rooms here today that I need to be in. He said, this is the most peaceful. Even the doctors said, they're like, man, your room's just calm, collected. Like, you don't have, like, really that spirit of death that really operates in the hospital that a lot of people don't want to acknowledge. And uh, so, yeah, so here I am. I told them I'm not getting the surgery. They said, well, you have one other option. They said you have another option of getting a blood patch. And so what a blood patch is is they basically take the chest tubes out from the machines where it's helping you breathe, and they draw blood immediately, and then they pour the blood down those tubes to go into your lungs, and it, um, it causes them to be inflamed, to react, so that way they will rise and kind of be able to help activate them. And so I went through that process twice, and it's horrible. I don't wish that on anybody uh, because it's literally like the worst burning sensation. Like, it makes you feel like someone has lit a fire, like, on the inside of you. Like, literally just lit a match and dropped it down there, and you're just burning, and there's nothing you can do. And you have to lay on that side, so it makes it worse, because now your lung is going from being semi-collapsed to now it's falling forward, so it makes it feel like it's doing the total opposite. Um, but while all that was going through, like, the Lord was really working on me and teaching me about faith, teaching about his love, his presence, and knowing who I was as a son. And... um after being in there a week, I, I experienced uh, his presence again um, very differently. There was a big light in the room in the middle of the night. And um, and at that time, I was really struggling because I wasn't getting better with my lungs. Um, they were concerned. We already did, I think, one of the two blood patches. And we were getting ready to do another one. 
And um, obviously, it already said no to the surgery, so you can't do surgery after you've done the blood patch. I think something like that. Um, so, anyways, this big bright light in the middle of the night, I wake up to, and um, while I was waking up to, I felt this big hand on the left side, and um, I knew it was I knew it was the Lord in the room. I knew it was Him coming in, and um. I, just, I, I could feel a sensation. I could feel him healing me, his love pouring out on me. And when he got done doing that, I actually pulled up my gown, and there was like this, I don't even know, like a giant hand imprint on where I had all the patches and everything. Like it was like someone had forced their hand down on And I knew the Lord had been in the room and touched me. And, um, and a week later, I was finally released with, one chest tube was on um, home care for about six weeks. Um, Stephanie and them came through the first day I came home, brought me food and hung out with me and prayed for some other people that was with me. And my biggest takeaway for me of out of that whole experience um, wasn't just about experiencing a miracle, but restoration not only um, with my mother, but with the Lord, to know him as daddy. Like, I probably never would have saw him as daddy if it wasn't for that experience. Um, not that I didn't believe in miracles. Um, not that I didn't believe that he could restore my relationship with my mother. But looking back, because my mother passed a year after that, I knew the Lord allowed that to happen so I could restore the relationship with her because he knew that was important to me. And he obviously knew ahead of time that she was going to pass. And unfortunately, you know, sometimes God has to use horrible things um, in our life to happen sometimes to bring us back or to bring other people back for the greater good, which is the gospel and for the kingdom. And so that was a blessing to be able to reconcile with my mother. She became my best friend over the next year. We had already been reconciled you know, spending some time together. But over that next year, um, I probably spent every every other week with her. She, I'd go and pick her up, bring her over, and hang out, do stuff, and fellowship. And I think I also got to learn about daddy's love in other people's lives, even when it doesn't look like they're living the life that we think they're supposed to live. Um, my mother was an alcoholic, drug addict, um, that was just her, her her life since she was 16 up until she died. Uh, but after she passed, people shared with me that she always had prayer meetings in her apartment. And, of course, in my natural state, I'm like, yeah, okay. Like, like you really know anything about the Lord. <laughs> like, that was my thinking. Like, my critical judgment. You know, like hearing him talking about daddy's love, and I'm thinking, yeah, you don't know nothing. But um, uh, I met a young lady that my mom, I had no clue my mom had had been doing this. She had been mentoring this young girl for eight years and said that my mom would have her over, would take care of her kids. Of course, I got a little jealous because I'm like, well, what about me? Um, <laughs> which I do pretty pretty often it's usually always about me and my world just being honest <laughs> you know 
And so, uh, but uh, she shared with me how much my mom um, shared Jesus with her. That my mom would pray with her, read the Bible, put on different stations. Um, that my mom would bring different people in her area um, into the apartment. They'd have Bible studies. And it really helped me to see God's grace and his love on someone's life, even in the midst of what they've been through or what they're going through, that it doesn't matter the struggle or situation that his love is supernaturally beyond anything that can be contained from anything they have done wrong, doing wrong, struggling, addicted to, or anything. So that really taught me how much God's love can go beyond anything and break any barriers. Um, and the biggest thing is, um, you know, many times um, we, we forget who God can be in our lives because we're so caught up in trying to figure out who we are because we are so lost in trying to be like, oh, I'm not this person, I'm not this person. But really, if you stop trying to figure out who you're not and just figure out who you are, then trying to figure out who you're not isn't an issue. Because once you know that you're God's daughter, you're God's son, you're his beloved, you're his anointed, you're his beautiful and created chosen vessel for great things, then you know it doesn't matter what all the other lies of the enemy come and say and tell you in the back of your mind. It doesn't matter about that. So, you know, now I know I'm a son that's loved by him and that he will shake all hell on earth for me. And I know I don't always get it right, but that's okay because he does. And if I'm connected to him, then really I get it right no matter what. <laughs> Just saying. <laughs> I know, I know. Um, so some of the scriptures I wanted to share that really kind of stood out to me. Um, what, one that was probably the first one was First John 3, 1. And this is how the translation um the Passion Translation. By the way, if you don't read it, you're a loser. Sorry, just saying. It's the best translation ever. So, <laughs> not really. You're not really a loser. I'm just saying you're missing out on a lot because it's a beautiful translation. And you're just losing out. I know, right? Sounds so great. I'm talking about daddy's love and I just basically just called people, yeah. Not the greatest thing in the world. <laughs> it's okay. First John 3 1. It says, Look with wonder at the depth of the Father's marvelous love that He has lavished on us. He has called us and made us His own beloved children. He's called us. So it don't matter what we have to say about it. It doesn't matter. There's nothing we can do to change His love. Daddy's love is His love for us. So it doesn't matter how much wrong you do or even how much right you do. It doesn't matter because his love is still the same regardless. And then um, another scripture I thought was really good, it's Ephesians 3, 17 through 19. It says, then by constantly using your faith, the life of Christ will be released deep inside of you. And the resting place of his love will become the very source and root of your life. 
Then you will be empowered to discover what every Holy One experiences, the great magnitude of the astonishing love of Christ and all its dimensions, how deeply intimate and far-reaching is his love, how enduring and inclusive it is, endless love beyond measurement that transcends our understanding this extravagant love pours into you until you are filled to overflowing with the fullness of God. I don't know about you, but that makes me feel pretty awesome. <laughs> because if you've never experienced daddy's love, it's a big thing you're missing out on. It's one thing to know him as your personal savior, but it's another thing to know him as daddy. Like, it is not the same thing. I came to know him as my savior at 18 at Bible college, but I didn't get to know him as daddy until just a few years ago. So that's the biggest thing that I could, I could if I could just say two words, daddy's love. That's, that's all you need to know to experience your best life with him. We all face things in life, and sometimes we don't see them coming. Sometimes we do. Daddy was so gracious because he loves me to call me out in the early morning, not because of anything I've done right or wrong, simply because I'm his son. A child must know who their father is in order to know his voice. Know him so you can hear his voice. If you don't know him, you can't hear his voice. If I didn't know him, I would have not heard that voice. When you live like his son or daughter, and everything you do comes from the foundation of I am his and he is mine, your life will be forever transformed in the way that you cannot imagine. So be his son, be his daughter. Be the best son or daughter you can be by simply just saying, Lord, I need you. Even during adversity, we must listen to his voice and not be shaken or moved. Stand on what daddy tells you. I had to stand on what daddy told me even when everybody thought I was crazy, especially the doctors. <laughs> but it was because I trusted him, and he never let me down. Stand on what daddy tells you. Daddy's love will always be enough for anything we go through or are going through, that even the small whisper of his voice does something incredible in our life. live in daddy's love so um for activation i don't know where the activation is at okay so i'm not gonna give all the definitions that they normally give i'm just gonna kind of do it my way <laughs> <laughs> I know I'll get rebuked later, but it's okay. I'll take it. Well, really, you know, out of this, you know, you're supposed to get revelation, and we give you an opportunity to respond to that revelation and apply it to our lives. And there's a few things that Daddy wanted that he impressed on me that I wanted to do with you guys. So I just want to take a couple minutes for us to just kind of spend some time with Daddy and just be with him. And... um. I just want you to take a couple of seconds and just ask, um, ask them, just say, 
Daddy, is there a place in my life that I have stopped you from loving me? It's easy to say that Jesus loves us, but it's harder to say that we know he loves every aspect of us in our lives, every area, because we have our insecurities, our challenges. So just take a minute and ask Holy Spirit, and he'll, he'll say yes or no. Next, just ask Daddy, just say, Daddy, just, just show me the area or places in my life that I have stopped you from loving me completely. Maybe you don't know him the best you could as a son or the best you could as a daughter. Maybe you think you know him like Daddy, but you really don't. You just know him as a big man in the sky that created you created, sent his son down and on Calvary and died for you, and maybe that's just where it stopped. Or maybe for you, you thought now you speak in tongues and everything's good and dandy. Well, it doesn't stop there. It's about that relationship, that intimacy with him. So just take him in and just ask him to show you those places in your life. Lastly, I want us to kind of do this um, prayer declaration. If you can repeat after me, there will be a section where I'm going to leave it blank, and you can just tie in whatever you want between you and the Lord. And you don't have to necessarily say it out loud. You just say it in your, your own way, but just say, Daddy, I'm sorry that I've stopped you from loving me in this area of my life. I now open this door up and I allow your love in this area of my life. Daddy, not only do I want your love in this area of my life, but I want your love in all of my life. Every situation, every struggle, every win, and every loss, thank you for being a good, good daddy. Now tell them how much you love them. Thank you for listening today. Take a moment and ask Holy Spirit what he wants you to do with what you've learned. And remember, with God, all things are possible. So keep dreaming, keep praying, and simply obey. Because God is good, and he has good plans for you. You can subscribe to our blogs, learn about our speakers, and even hear from one of our team members how you can take part in transforming a city, your city with Christ. There's no time like the present. Visit ShekinahOnline.com. If this doesn't excite you, watch for our new and God-inspired product line, a newly released book by Stephanie Butler, more testimonies from our listeners like you, working to bring unity in cities across the world. If you 
feel led to support our podcast, you may do so on our Shekinah.com website. Or if you would like to support us monthly, there is a link labeled Listener Support on every podcast. Until next time, we thank you. We love you. Have a blessed day.